Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Well, I do want to start this morning talking about the challenge that it is to truly listen. If you think about it, the noise of daily life is at constant odds with our ability to carefully listen to God and to carefully listen to one another. On the one hand, we have all of the external noise of life. I don't know about you, but I live in a home with three kids, which means quiet's not really a thing. Um, But in addition to that, most of us receive an almost endless stream of notifications from our phones to our computers and now our watches. Whenever we're doing something around the house, oftentimes we have the TV blaring in the background. When we drive from place to place throughout the day, we often have music or podcasts playing, filling our ears with even more noise. But in addition to all of this external noise that exists in our lives, we also are bombarded by internal noise. Our worries, our fears, our stress, all of those things consume our attention And so our minds, some of us, it's happening even right now. Oftentimes our minds are running a mile a minute, constantly processing our past, present, and future. And so we reflect on things that we have done, we rehearse the things that we need to do today, and we plan for the things that we want to do in the future. And so the volume of both internal and external noise make it very challenging for us to truly listen. And the older that I get, the more deeply I believe in both the importance and the power of listening. And as a result, I desperately want to get better at it, but I want to confess, it's very, very hard for me. I'll give you an example from just this week. Monday morning, I was sitting at our dining room table, and I was writing in my journal. And as I was writing, I was asking God to help me to be present that day with Tammy and with our kids. Monday's my day off, so I'm home more. And so I was praying, Lord, please help me to be present. Help me to give my family my undivided attention. And so in that moment, I was literally asking God to help me to listen well that day. And literally in the very moment that I was expressing this desire to God, Tammy started to tell me about a book that she's reading. Now, I want you to know that she's reading like multiple books she really likes right now. So conversationally, she's kind of like living with a book report in this current moment. And so I asked her if I could say that as well, just so you know. Uh, But I kid you not, as she's talking to me, I was super distracted because all I was thinking is I really, I don't want to hear about this right now because I'm trying to pray and ask God to help me be present and listen to you throughout this day. And so my point is just to say, It is very challenging to carefully listen. Now, here's why this presents us with such a serious dilemma. It is impossible to experience the depth of relationship with God that we were created and that we long for if we don't live listening lives. It's impossible. So to say that again, so we really wrap our heads around it, it is impossible for us to experience the depth of relationship with God that we were designed for if we do not live listening lives. 
And so to that end, I want to look at a story in the scriptures this morning about two sisters who were both disciples and friends of Jesus, uh, two sisters named Mary and Martha. Both of these women were very devoted to Jesus in their own right. But in this particular story, we learn so much from them about the connection between relationship with Jesus on the one hand and our ability to truly listen on the other. And so if you have a Bible this morning or an app that you like to read on, open up to Luke chapter 10, Luke's gospel. So if you get to the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel. We're going to be in chapter 10, specifically verses 38 to 42. And I want to call this next installment in the Fiercely Feminine series, Mary and Martha, the Devoted. Mary and Martha, the devoted. Now, to start, I just want to read this story to you, and then we're going to fill in some context around it and draw out a few insights from it, all right? So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, Luke writes this. While they were traveling, he, speaking of Jesus here, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha, Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. All right, so let's talk a little bit about context so we know what's happening here. We're in Luke's gospel. So Luke, our author, uh, was a doctor by trade. He was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. And in chapter one, we learn that he was hired by a wealthy benefactor uh, by the name of Theophilus to write what he calls an orderly sequence of everything surrounding the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. And his purpose in writing was so that Theophilus could be certain of everything that this man Jesus had said and done. And so in essence, Luke is writing a carefully researched biography of sorts. And it's all based on the eyewitnesses account from people that he interviewed. And so by the time that we get here to chapter 10, Jesus is in his early 30s and he is well into his teaching and healing ministry. And some of you probably know this, but as his prominence uh, within this region continued to rise, so did tension with religious leaders because Jesus was constantly disrupting the system that they had learned to manipulate and to thrive within. And so as we read these biographical accounts of Jesus' life, we constantly read about religious leaders questioning Jesus and trying to test him and trip him up so that in some way they could work to diminish his authority. And so earlier in chapter 10, if you were to read the rest of the chapter later today, there's this conversation between Jesus and a man who was an expert in the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. And through that conversation, Jesus affirms that loving God and loving people is the heart of everything that is written in the law. And so then Luke records the parable of the Good Samaritan, which even if you're not familiar with the scriptures, you've probably heard some version of that parable at some point. But the reason that Luke puts that there is he's putting flesh on what it means to love people. And then we get to this story here where Luke uses this example with Mary and Martha to teach us something critical about loving God. And in verse 38, we uh, get the scene set for us for what's taking place. So look with me at that again. Verse 38 says, while they, so this is Jesus and his disciples, 
While they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So rather than being rooted in one place, we probably know this, but you know, Jesus traveled from region to region, teaching on his coming kingdom, healing the sick, and liberating the spiritually oppressed. And so as an itinerant teacher, he and his disciples were dependent on the hospitality of other people. And this is where and why we meet Mary and Martha. Verse 38 introduces us to Martha. Now we know from John's gospel that Martha and Mary lived in the village of Bethany, which sits about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, She has no husband mentioned here, um, and the text tells us the home belonged to her, so either she was a widow or she was just a wealthy uh, single woman of means. But regardless, she's more than likely the older of the two sisters, and she invites Jesus into her home for a meal. And this is one more piece of evidence that tells us that sharing meals with people was a central part of Jesus' ministry. There's actually six different times that Luke records Jesus at a meal. And so scripture seems to teach us that there can be something sacred about sharing meals with people. It draws us together, it connects us, and it provides a space in which we can share life together. And so Martha opened her home and devoted herself to making that possible. And as we come to verse 39, we meet her sister, Mary. 39 says this, She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Now, the significance and the borderline scandal of this situation is largely lost on us because we're prone to read this and think, well, I mean, of course Mary is sitting and listening to Jesus. I mean, think about it. Word of his authority in his teaching and the miracles that he was performing and everything that he was accomplishing, all the news of that was already beginning to spread. And there was already these increasing rumors that maybe this Jesus of Nazareth is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. And at very least, he was known to be a gifted and insightful rabbi to whom people loved to listen to. So because of this, we tend to read this and not be very surprised that Mary would be sitting and listening to Jesus. I mean, if Jesus was at my house, you better believe I'm going to be posted up at his feet, listening to what it is that he has to say. People are prone to seize any opportunity to listen to someone they admire. For instance, I had this surprising privilege of finding myself sharing a dinner a few years ago with Pastor Rick Warren. If you don't know who Rick is, he pastors Saddleback Church, which is one of the largest churches in the United States. And he also wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. That book spent 90 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And as of uh, 2020, it sold over 50 million copies in 85 different languages. It is far and away one of, if not the most influential Christian book written in the last two decades outside of the Bible. And he's also been a counselor to presidents and to world leaders. And so when I found myself at this private dinner with Pastor Rick and a few other faith leaders, I soaked up every word of that conversation. I wasn't like checking social media and dreaming about all the other things that I could be doing. It was a very rare opportunity that very few people in my position get to experience. And so I was highly engaged. We are prone to seize any opportunity to listen to someone we admire. And so in the very same way, Mary has this opportunity to spend time with Jesus. So wouldn't we expect to find her exactly where she is, sitting and listening to the very Son of God? 
But here's the thing that we might miss. Mary, in this verse, is specifically portrayed as a disciple in this setting, which again, may not strike us as surprising, but Mary was a Jewish woman, and no Jewish woman was given an opportunity to learn in this manner. And so what we might just kind of breeze over thinking, of course, this is what Mary would do. It's so important that we do not miss that this is yet another opportunity of Jesus displaying another sign of his kingdom, one of mutual access for both men and women. Furthermore, we learn an an essential lesson from Mary's example about following Jesus. And that lesson is this, listening is the great labor of discipleship. Listening is the great labor of discipleship. Luke highlights Jesus' teaching on the discipline of listening in the life of a disciple multiple times throughout this gospel. For instance, in Luke 6.47, Jesus says a disciple hears his words and acts on them. In Luke 8.21, Jesus says a disciple is anyone who hears and does the word of God. In Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So there's this clear theme that runs all the way through Jesus' teaching in the gospel of Luke. And that theme is that listening is the great labor of discipleship. And so the implication in this is, if we are not listening, we are not following. And so I'm going to come back to some practical instruction to help us grow in our ability to listen in just a few minutes. But first, I want you to notice in the text that not everybody is like super pumped that Mary has chosen to sit and listen. Look at verse 40. But Martha, so there's a contrast between their two responses to having Jesus in their home. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone, so tell her to give me a hand. All right, now here's the thing. In virtually every message I have ever heard on this text, Martha always gets treated like crap. Every single pastor I've ever heard preach, she just becomes this like whipping post, and it's like Mary's good and Martha's bad. And I would argue that that's horribly unfair, and that it very much misses Jesus' heart toward her in this situation. Because Martha shows signs of deep devotion to Jesus as well, even though it's imperfect. Additionally, while we feel very comfortable judging Martha, all of us, regardless of our personalities, are more frequently like Martha than we are Mary. And so we should cut her a little bit of slack. And so before we talk about what she gets wrong, let's talk a little bit about what she gets right. For instance, uh, Mary or Martha was hospitable. She opened her home, and she provided a meal to Jesus and his disciples. Hospitality is a spiritual discipline that we are called to as Christians. Secondly, Martha is hardworking. I've heard people twist this story, usually lazy people, twist this story to demonize hard work. But that totally misses the point as well. God made us to work. And because of our devotion to Jesus, no one should work harder than Christians. Thirdly, I would argue that Martha was also teachable. She is going to be lovingly corrected by Jesus in just a second, but we know from John's gospel that Martha Martha remained a friend to and a disciple of Jesus. So she didn't respond to Jesus' correction the way that some of us are prone to respond to correction. She didn't like freak out and kick Jesus out of her house for not saying what she wanted to hear. She continues to press in. 
And all of this is noble and it's worthy of replication in our lives. Now that being said, Martha does in fact miss the mark in a critical way. She has Jesus sitting in her home and her attention is divided. She's so caught up in her many tasks that she misses the opportunity to listen to Jesus. And so, listen, I think we probably know this, but you know, it's possible to be too busy even with good things. Like we, we, we tend to think about like, what's really important, I'm, I'm not like all wrapped up in sin so that I don't uh, obstruct my relationship with Jesus. But the truth is we can be too busy even with good things. That's Martha. And so when our labor for Jesus obstructs our ability to listen to him, our doing has surpassed our being. And when our lives are all about doing things for Jesus at the expense of spending time with him, our souls, whether we realize it or not, have already begun to shrivel. And so that's Martha. Martha is running around. She's presumably trying to prepare a meal and she's frustrated that her sister is not helping. And I think we can probably all empathize with that to some degree. We've all had some experience with the frustration of working hard while we watch other people do absolutely nothing. I call that parenting. (laughs) Kids have this like, especially young kids, have this uncanny ability to be completely oblivious to the fact that you are already doing like a hundred things to take care of them and they can still come up right in the middle of them and be like, can I have a bagel? And you're like, I know you're a kid. But are, do, you really not, do you really not see all these things? Like, am I the only person in this house that is doing anything right now? Now, if you've ever felt any version of that, that's what Martha is feeling right then. Now, what I find so interesting is that Martha doesn't take her complaint to Mary. Isn't that interesting? Like, that's who she's frustrated with, but she doesn't go to Mary. She goes directly to Jesus, which I think is also significant, and I think something we should give Martha credit for. She's apparently not preoccupied with appearing proper and put together around Jesus. She's not worried about hiding her emotions. She goes right up to Jesus, trusting that he wants to help. And she says, Lord, don't you care that that Mary has left me to do everything? Like, tell her to help me out. But then I want you to notice Jesus' response in verse 41 and 42. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So there's two things of note here. The first is, notice that Jesus does not respond harshly toward her, nor does he appear irritated by the interruption. Like he doesn't respond to Martha and go, how dare you come at me like this, Martha? Do you know who I am? Which I would have understood. But instead, what does he say? He says, Martha, Martha. And that double use of her name is intentional and it's meant to convey sympathy from Jesus. He feels sympathy for her. He feels the weight of the burden that she is carrying, knowing that she is carrying it unnecessarily. And that's the same thing that he feels when you and I suffer, even when that suffering is from our own hands. And I also want you to notice how he diagnoses her problem. He says that she is worried and upset about many things. 
Now, to be worried is to be anxious, but specifically, it's to be unduly concerned. It's specifically an unnecessary concern that diverts our attention away from God and onto other things. To be upset is to be conflicted or troubled or distracted. It's to have, literally, to have a divided mind, our mind in two different places. And so I want you to understand, the issue was not specifically her tasks. The issue was her tasks came at the expense of her attention. And so I love the fact that she isn't banished by Jesus. In fact, in affirming Mary's choice to sit with him, he's inviting Martha to do the same. And so Jesus doesn't condemn Martha in her anxiety, and he does not condemn you and I in ours. Instead, he simply simply invites us to shift our attention. And so here's how I'd summarize the message of these few verses. Our big idea is this. Jesus longs for relational presence over religious performance. Jesus longs for relational presence over religious performance. I mean, this is the good news of Jesus on display in this story. Martha is running herself ragged, trying to make everything good enough. Meanwhile, Jesus just wants her undivided attention. And that's the same thing that's true for you and I. We don't make ourselves acceptable to God. Through Jesus, we are accepted by God, and he changes us more and more as we learn to listen to him. But that demands that we give him daily our undivided attention. And I would say for those of you that grew up in a home that had a real culture of performance, where to be accepted by your mom or your dad or by the people in your life, you had to really perform and achieve at a high level, this is harder for you. You're going to be bent much more Martha in life. And we have this inevitable tendency to project our view of our earthly parents onto our heavenly father. And so if you had uh, an earthly father or an earthly mother that demanded much from you, it is a, a very good possibility that you will struggle with this more, believing I have to be perfect to be accepted by God. But the entire message of the cross screams, you can't be good enough. You can't be perfect. And so Jesus did that for us. And so what God wants from us is not just endless religious performance, but actual relational presence marked by sitting with him and listening to him. And so the question then is, how do we learn to listen? We've already acknowledged how challenging it is to listen well, especially in the culture that we live in. So how do we learn to listen well? Let me just close with three pieces of counsel on this front. Number one is this, carve quiet space. Carve quiet space. So every day when I sit with God, I start with at least two minutes of silent breath prayer. And I would, that's not something that you've experimented with. I would highly encourage you to give this a try. So on my inhale, I sit and focus, try to breathe, sit calmly where it's quiet. On my inhale, I silently pray, Abba which is the Aramaic term that Jesus instructed his disciples to use when praying to the Father. The word Abba means Father. And so on my inhale, I pray Abba. And on my exhale, I pray I belong to you. Two minutes of silence, sitting and just praying that same simple prayer over and over and over again. We live in a noisy, 
and an inherently distracting world. And so silence is resistance to this noise. We don't think of it like this, but it's an act of defiance in the life of one who is determined to listen to God. And so start by simply carving quiet space. Let me just tell you, if you have young kids at home, I totally understand how hard that is. Pay attention. Books on prayer are only ever written by old people with no young kids, okay? No one that's like 27 with nine kids running around is writing on prayer. They're writing on survival, okay? <laughs> so I understand that it's, it's harder, but we still, to the best of our ability, can find these small, quiet spaces to be able to sit with God. Secondly, this will be helpful for, the, for that as well, cut your quantity, Cut your quantity. The longer I follow Jesus, the more that I care about the quality of my reading in Scripture than I do the quantity of it. Many Bible reading plans call for like four to six chapters a day. And so what I would say is, in my experience, trying to read that much creates this tendency in me where I just want to get through it rather than truly listen for God's voice in the midst of it. And so there is certainly a place for larger quantities of reading, but I find that listening to God happens best when we have less to focus on. And so I would encourage you to take one chapter or even one paragraph, maybe one story within a chapter and read it slowly. Read it multiple times. Read it out loud, but try to cut your quantity. And then lastly, contemplate the text contemplate the text. I would argue that outside of the Bible, there is no more important aid in the personal life of a Christian than a journal. And we may not all agree on that, but I have found that to be absolutely true in my life. Because writing helps us hold our attention in one place, because it forces us to slow down, and it helps us to process our thoughts. And so after you have read your passage for the day, just simply talk to God about it through your journal. The word contemplate means to look thoughtfully for a long time, to think about in that length. It means literally to meditate. And so talk to God about what you notice in what it is that you've read. Talk to God about what you have heard being said, about how it makes you feel, what confuses you, maybe even what rubs you the wrong way. All of that is good for us to talk to God about with. And the more comfortable that we become with this practice, the more we are going to hear God speak to us through it. And so again, we are, we are in a real predicament. We, whether we realize it or not, inside of every single one of us is this longing that can only be satiated through deep relationship with God. And that requires listening to him. And because listening in general, is so challenging and difficult for us, we have a real predicament on our hands. And so what we have the opportunity to do is to resist the noise. We can resist the tendency to be so busy for God that we fail to prioritize actually being with him. We can carve quiet space. We can cut our quantity. We can contemplate what we read because Jesus longs for relational presence over religious performance. And so let's continue to labor to give him our attention more and more. Will you pray with me? And then we'll do some Q&A. Father, I thank you that everything that we just read is true. And we thank you, Lord, for what it conveys about your heart toward us, that you desire not performance from us, but relationship with us. 
And Lord, I pray that you would fix in our minds that the more that we focus on our performance, the less we actually change. At best, we just learn to modify behavior. But Lord, as we learn to sit with you and to listen to you and to increase in the depth of our relationship with you, we will change and our performance will change, God. But help us to remember that you want to change us from the inside out. And that that happens through sitting with you and listening to you. And Lord, we just confess that that is very, very difficult for us. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you, that you would awaken their heart to faith, that they would see you for who you are, that they would sense your heart toward them, that you desire them, that you gave your very life for them. And I pray that as they put their faith in you, they would begin the disciples' journey of following you and listening to you. Help us to do that together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.